says some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our God. And that is where we put our hope. And that's why we sing um, to Jesus this morning. And so I pray this morning that if nothing else, that we would grow in our confidence and our trust in him together. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to do that through his word. God, we thank you um, that you have um, taken us who um, are weak, are often sinful, broken, speaking of myself here, just messed up people, Lord, and you have made us whole. You have redeemed us. As Pastor Matt read, you have saved us, and we rejoice in that truth this morning. And it's because of that, God, that we trust you. We put our hope in you. Our confidence is found in you. And so I pray that we would together be strengthened this morning, that our, our hope and our confidence and um, our joy and all of those things would be multiplied as we just think about you more this morning than perhaps we have all week. And God, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters that have stumbled in this morning um, off the battlefield, wounded, hurting, and they need to be reminded of the hope that they have in you. They need to be strengthened. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that through our singing, through our worship, through the word, through just the, the family of God being gathered together. Lord, would you lift them up? Their weary and broken and tired heads, would you say to them that you love them, that you care for them? Would you give them hope? Lord, we ask that you would um, just move in this place uh, in a powerful way. There's nothing special about this room except for the fact that your spirit is here with us and the people of God are gathered to worship you. And so we invite you here, Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would just move as only you can move. Reveal yourself to us in truth and in power. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Good morning. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Parks Church, and uh, so glad to see every one of you this morning with us. Um, if you are new with us, as, uh, as Pastor Kyle alluded to, this is the Parks Church, and um, just uh, because over the summer months, I know we um, have uh, just welcomed many new guests um, just to let you know that uh, this church began gathering here in uh, March of 2014, so we're just over a, about five years old, and um, it is our habit um, as, a, as a church family over our history that we work our way through Scripture, looking at um, the Bible as our, um, not just our authority, but our sufficiency. 
sufficient authority, that it um, answers all of the questions that we have in life, and um, is our hope, is where we hear from God Himself. And, uh, and so in that vein, we are working our way through the book of Proverbs, and in, um, most of the time, we typically work our way through sort of verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, but uh, in this season, um, uh, over the summer months, we are kind of jumping through Proverbs, and so um, we ha- aren't going one by one. It would take us um, over a number of years to get through all of Proverbs. And so just to give us, um, condense that down for this month, that's what we are uh, doing here. And as Stacy read for us, this is a, a Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10 um, is sort of the anchor for where uh, we are this morning, but it is a proverb of Solomon. Solomon, the wisest man after Jesus, of course, who ever lived, um, a king. Um, some of you have been with us for a season. Remember that we uh, went through the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon's wisdom revealed to us through his writing there. Um, but he had a great ability. He asked God for wisdom, and God granted him wisdom. And so Solomon obviously had the law. He knew right from wrong, um, but he wanted to understand how to live and how to live as God would have him live. And so that's why he asked God to give him wisdom. And so the Lord gave Solomon wisdom in so many areas of life. And in particular, he gave him wisdom, as he's going to share with us this morning, he gave him wisdom in the area of money. And we also can find understanding and greater joy and peace around the subject and the topic of money if we would listen to the wisdom of God. Now, if you were with us last week, and I know you're thinking, okay, first they talked about sex, now he's talking about money. This church is kind of weird. But um, this is where the Word of God leads us. And the reason, ultimately, that these subjects sometimes feel awkward to us, speaking of sex and the providence of God and the holiness of God in that area and money this week, um, next week I guess we can jump into politics, Uh, But the reason those things make us so squeamish is because we see them, unfortunately, as something that is private, as something that is isolated from the sovereignty of God. And so we don't like to talk about those things because we have the lordship of Christ in all these various areas of our lives, but when it comes to money, no, that's an area that we are tempted to believe that we can keep from God. It's one of those things that we say that is up to us. And so we tell, we'll listen and hear from God when it comes to our salvation. We'll hear from God when it tells me, when he tells me how to live as a husband or a father or as a friend or as an employee. But when it comes to my money, that's a private matter, God. And money, unfortunately, it makes us feel as if we are in complete control. It can make us feel either secure or insecure at times, but even in that, we feel like there is some semblance of control. And so we hold tightly to it, and we don't want anyone to speak into it. Even our closest friends, I've been in relationships with some guys in the past where we'd meet together and we would um, just encourage one another, we would study God's Word together, and we would come to the subject of money and we'd ask one another to kind of ask, hey, how are you doing in the area of your finances? Are you living as God would call you to live, tithing and doing all of those sorts of things? And in all of that, we would start to get a little squeamish. There was a season once where we were asked to bring our bank statements 
Can you imagine? And even in saying that, some of us just begin to sweat, thinking, no, I would never share my bank statement with another person because we think of it as private. We hold it too closely. Unfortunately, here's the truth. Jesus is Lord of all or not Lord at all. And if he is Lord over our life, it's, this is a matter of lordship that he is the Lord over all of our resources. And Jesus, over and over and over again in his teaching, told us that money, how we related to money, our view of money, was one of the greatest indicators of the condition of our hearts. And so if you want to even assess, and sometimes it's healthy to do this, to wonder how am I doing in my walk with Christ? How am I doing in my submission to the Lordship of Christ? Am I growing in this area? Consider how do you think about money and your finances? And are those under the Lordship of Christ? Consider what he said in Matthew 23, 23. The Pharisees, he calls them hypocritical and he calls them hypocritical not because they weren't tithing. No, the, the Pharisees tithe. They went to great lengths. It says that they even were tithing in that verse. They were tithing on their herb gardens. Can you imagine you go out to your herb garden and you clip off 10% and bring that into the house of God? But he, no, he says that they were hypocrites because they were disregarding weightier matters than just tithing. So Jesus is not saying in that text to stop tithing. He's saying that tithing is just a baseline level of obedience, just a basic level of obedience in how we relate and consider our finances in submission to the Lord. That's sort of the, that's ground zero. And then from there, he says to the Pharisees, you need to look at all these other areas of your life where you're being hypocritical. Now just... As an aside, in case that word tithing is somewhat foreign, and I understand that some of us, we didn't grow up in the church or grow up hearing that word where we were taught. So what is tithing? Essentially, a tithe is the first line in our monthly budget. I encourage you, if you do not have a monthly budget, you should have a monthly budget. That is just a way to live wisely in the world. And so if you went through your budget, the tithe is the first line. It's the first check, 10% of what we bring in of our income, whether it's from our herb gardens or from our employer, we give that over to the Lord. I love what Ray Ortland says about this, and you consider our budgets. Something has to come first. Something comes first in line in our budgets. Do we really want to say to the Lord, I'll fit you in if I can. I'll put you down here somewhere below. But Jesus was saying that tithing, giving of that in submission to the Lord, giving the 10%, that was the basic level of obedience for the Christian. But the wisdom of God that we gain from Proverbs takes us further. Wisdom calls us to live sacrificially, to live as Christ lived. And living with wisdom, guess what it yields? A much more beautiful and powerful life than just simple math. When we live with just the simplicity of here is math, 10%, here's what the equation looks like, our life is sort of on just is that level of basic. But when we live sacrificially, we grow into a freedom to pursue those weightier matters that Jesus discusses in Matthew 23. Wisdom allows us to break the spell that money holds over us and put Christ 
in charge and put Christ first and live in the life that Christ has given us. So, how do we live as God would call us to live? How do we live with this type of wisdom? How do we move some of us beyond just the basic level of obedience of tithing to grow in a, uh, and flourish in this life? The first thing we understand is we have to understand what money is and where it comes from. Too often, again, we think because of our American sort of um, upbringing and just the Western context of the Fed and all of the different things and the dollar, we kind of get in just entranced by all of this. But one of the reasons that we don't understand money the way we should is we think that we created it. We think that it is, belongs to us. And of course, because it belongs to us, it's a private matter and it is not something that is under the Lordship of Christ. We worked for it. We earned it. It is ours, right? That's wrong. We need to remember that the Lord made the money. Even the money is his. Genesis 131 says this, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was good. Money is good. We're going to get to the text that talks about the love of money being the root of evil. But money is good. It was created by God, and he owns all of it. Every dollar. We just came from Kenya. Every shilling, every yen, every bit of it is his. The Bible also says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is nothing that the Lord sees that he does not own. And Genesis says that everything that he made, he saw it was good. And so that's why when we get to Proverbs, we don't hear God in his wisdom speaking of money negatively or in harmful ways. And that's so often, again, when we begin to think of money, how often does it become this thing that is dealt with and talked about in negative and pessimistic ways? How often do we speak of money with joy and with hope? Why? The reason that we don't do that is because we don't live with money in the way that God would call us, with the wisdom of God when we think of it. So the first thing that we need to understand about money is that it is not money that makes you rich. That's the lie of the enemy to convince us that something created by God is better than the creator himself. Proverbs 10, 22, Stacy didn't read this for us. We cut short just of the whole chapter. But if we go to 10, 22, it says this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Your boss, your employer or your employees, your company, your creativity is not what provides for you. That is not the source of your wealth. No, God himself provides for you. And the first step to understanding money and living with wisdom is understanding that we must always recognize that our business is first with God and not the human institutions that we engage with. We don't gain money from those things. It is given to us by the owner of it all, by God himself. Think about this. What do we do that earns us money that is not rooted in the creativity of God? The agriculture industry, that's a simple one, all created by God and turned over to him, and then we monetize it so that he can bless us through it. The travel industry, 
Y'all know, you've heard me talk about this before, I love to go to Colorado. Why do I love to go to Colorado? Because I experience the creativity of God in powerful ways as I look at that mountain. I enjoy his mercy as I fly down that mountain very fast. It's a joy as I catch the fish that he created and put in the stream for me to enjoy. All of that, everything that we do, and that is a monetized industry, but it's rooted in the creativity of God. How about education? All of the money that's spent in that. We are training and educating the people that God created. Manufacturing, all of the things that we build are ultimately rooted in things that were put on this earth by God first, created by God. Healthcare, we take care of the bodies that God created. So our problem with money is that we look at all of these things and we think of these various industries and the practice that we, practices that we engage in and we think that we make the money through them. And so then again, this creation becomes our source of joy rather than the Lord himself. I referenced just a moment ago, I said that we'd get to 1 Timothy 6.10 that says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The reason we don't have a positive outlook of money is that we crave money. We crave it so much that we wander and drift away from the things that God has called us to. So if we want to have a positive outlook of money and we want to see money in the way that Proverbs does, we've got to put it back in its proper perspective. We've got to see money as something given to us, created by God, and then given to us, a biblical worldview. And if he created something, this is the best wealth that we can find then is in him. Not the things that he created, not the money that he gives to us through those things that he created, but ultimately in him alone. Think of this, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have Christ, if you're a Christian today, you have the creator of all the wealth. What more could you want? What more could you need? You have the one who established it, who created it, and yes, has in some senses blessed us with it. We don't need all these other things because we have Christ. Think of our kids. How often, especially in our context, do our kids want for anything or have concern or question about where they're going to find their meal, where they're going to be taken care of? I know in my house, they don't really ask that. They don't ask, are we going to be able to eat today? Are we going to be able to, you know, do this or that? They just say, when? <laughs> when will we eat? When will we go? When will we do this or that? Because it's just an automatic assumed. Why? Because they live in our household. They are our possession in a sense. And so we who have Christ, we have the creator of all the wealth. So no matter the amount of money in your bank, you have the one who owns it all. It doesn't matter what's sitting in there on some account, on some ledger, because you have Christ. And so because we have Christ, we can trust that our bank account balance is perfectly in accordance with what God would say. It is exactly what God would have it to be. He's given you everything because he's given you himself. And in that, what more can we ask for? 
But back to 1 Timothy. We have pains because we crave and yearn for more and more and more. So what does Proverbs say about how he fills our bank accounts with whatever he determines to do that? How does he give us this money that he owns? How does he put it in our pockets? He does that, it says, through our hard work. Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, some poverty exists because of injustice, and there is no shame in that. As you know, our team just got back this week from Kenya, a country that is very corrupt in its government. And there are many countries around the world where that corruption exists, and because of the corruption that exists there and the injustices that exist in those places in the world, there is poverty that runs rampant. And so the poverty that is due to corruption and people who prey on the weak, that's not the poverty that he's talking about, a slack hand here. Interestingly enough, by the way, as we visited, and I've been able to do this many times in places all over the world, the people who experience this type of poverty, they don't seem to be mad at the Lord for their poverty. They don't seem to consider the Lord the perpetrator of their problems. No, they seem to trust the Lord completely to fulfill their needs and provide for them, and they live with joy. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but it's amazing to see when someone's heart is fully for the Lord and dependent because there is no other means for them to be dependent, no other place to be dependent on, completely dependent upon the Lord, and they find joy as the Lord provides. They're overjoyed when the Lord brings them money or provision. But no, poverty that is due to laziness, however, is not good. A slack hand causes poverty. God created us to work, to work for good, and to work hard. And we thrive, I think most of us would share this testimony, we thrive when we work and we work hard and we see the fruit of our labor. Just recently we moved, and as we moved, the home that we moved into had sort of uh, yard work that needed to be done. It was in quite disarray. And so I've spent over the last number of weeks and weekends many hours toiling in the dirt and creating all of this. And now, guess what? I sit on my back patio and just enjoy. Look at it all. All the hard work paid off. Guys, you know what it feels like to mow that lawn. Just that hard work. Getting on the lawnmower, getting behind it, and then you just see all those perfect green lines. The beauty of that. We were created to work. We see that when we labor for something, when we work hard. And some of you would be able to share testimonies of your organizations, your companies, whatever it is that you endeavor to do. You go out and you work hard and you labor and you put forth strong and good effort. And then when you reap the rewards of that effort, it brings you joy. That's because it was what you were created to do. You were created for that. And when we do that, we get the fruit of our labor. And when we have that fruit, we become happy. We're filled with joy. And when we do that, we're also, we're living with wisdom. And regardless of the amount that's given to us, whatever it is that we earn for that hard work, we receive it with joy. Here's one of the things that we need to understand. God has plenty of money. He doesn't want for anything. But he's calling us here in this, through this proverb to work hard 
to use the gifts that he's given you. Make good use of your time and use the resources that he's given to you. Do it all wisely and then enjoy the fruit that he brings from that. Enjoy it. Don't worship it, but enjoy it. Proverbs 12, 11 says this, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Don't chase fantasies. Is your career goal realistic? Is it something that can actually happen? Here's the deal. I know a lot folks would pay a lot of money to ride a dragon around town. I don't know where to get a dragon. I can't make money on that. That's not realistic. None of y'all want to ride a dragon? I figured that would go over well. No. Last I checked, we can't do that. Is, your, is what you endeavor to do, can it actually be done? Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits, what are those worthless pursuits? I don't know exactly what those look like in everybody's life, but we can discern those things. We can seek the wisdom of God and say, is this something that is real? Is there actual work to be done here? Proverbs 13, 11 says this, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. God has all of the money. But I can tell you this. He doesn't usually and normatively provide lottery tickets. That get-rich scheme that is promising you all sorts of money and provision, it's a lie. If the advertisement for your business is easy money, fast money, then it's not the work of God. He says here, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Patient, intelligent, effort, hard work over a long season of life, that is the wealth that lasts. And it lasts because it's built over time. As God builds us up, he also builds our wealth. He builds us up, gives us maturity, gives us the ability to, to understand that the wealth is from him and to manage it wisely. But wealth that comes hastily, it dwindles because we have not had the time to be built up by God in order to manage it and handle it with wisdom. I think of my grandfather. Never earned anything more than just a normative wage. But over decade upon decade, was obedient to the Lord, used his money wisely, gave his money away generously, and never once in his life worried about finances. And our family as a result, when we found our times and seasons of trouble, we knew that my grandfather, because of his wisdom and because of the way that he built his wealth over time, built his wealth by practicing wisdom of God and the way that he handled it, could secure and could take care of those things. That's the wealth that lasts. God gives us exactly what we need, not what we want, at exactly the correct time. When we try to go after it, and think that we can get it another way, we are most often proved wrong. Proverbs 15, 16, and 17 says this, Better is a little with fear of the Lord, a little with fear of the Lord, than great treasure and trouble with it. 
Have you ever seen that playing out in your life? I'm sure that we all can think of friends and those that we've encountered in our life, family members perhaps, that we have, they seem to have great treasure, but with their great treasure comes tons of trouble. I referenced the lottery. How many stories have we read over and over again that the lottery winners, within weeks even sometimes, are completely destitute, their families are broken apart, there is just a wake of disaster that follows them because they've gone after money and tried to gain wealth hastily. But the proverb says here, let's rather have a little with fear of the Lord. Do you think that way? Or are you telling God, the author of all wisdom, but Lord, I think I might be the one. I'm the one that can have great treasure and also no trouble with it. That speaks to our pride because so often we think that way. We think that we can tell God, I know that this is a proverb, that this has been written, uh, an ancient but wise text written many, many years ago that has proved itself out in countless number of millions and millions of, of lives before me. But Lord, I think I'm the one that probably will know how to do differently. How prideful that is. Better is a little, however, with fear of the Lord. So money is created by God. He gives it as a blessing in response to our hard work. He gives it according to His wisdom. And so what can we do with it? We rejoice in what we have and we share it generously because none of it is ours. It's all His. How does money, though, become that root of evil? How does it become not good? This thing that was created by God, that God owns, that He could have looked upon and said, all is good, it's when it becomes a curse, it's because of our sinfulness. Money can become destructive. It can become something that hinders us. I won't read all of these, but when we hoard money and think we control it, it is a sin. That's what Proverbs eleven twenty six says. When we have greed and we create conflict over money, arguing over money, thinking that we deserve more, that's a problem. That is sin, Proverbs 28, 25. When we aren't satisfied with what God has given and we look for ill-gotten gain, hasty gain, that's a sin, Proverb 11:18. When we think that we know better than God and we deal corruptly with money and think that we can remanage and arrange it in a way that serves our needs, that is sin, Proverbs 20:23. 20, when we get money out of order in any of these ways, it becomes a hindrance to us. And in all of these things, if you're experiencing a season in your life where you are confounded by money, where money and your finances have become a trial for you, and it's a, the conversation is painful every time you try to have a, money, a, a conversation about money, or you think about money, I would encourage you, exhort you, brother and sister, go look at these texts and see what God has to say. And if there is conviction that is brought upon your soul, repent. Confess it to God. Give it over to Him. If you confess your sins, He is faithful to forgive you. He won't hold that against you as a grudge. He won't, he, there may be a season of trial that He leaves you in as He grows you and builds you up to see money in the way that He would intend for you to see money. But you don't have to stay there. My mom and dad, for 25 years, lived in constant conflict over money because my father 
lived with all of those things. He wanted to hoard money and try and control it. He was greedy and he had conflict over money. He always thought he deserved more. He was never satisfied with what God had given him and tried to find money in other ways. And he thought that he knew better with, about money and tried to go and he dealt corruptly with others. Sin after sin after sin after sin. Had he confessed his sin, repented to the one who gives it all, I believe because God's word says that he would have been forgiven and the Lord would have redeemed him and brought him out of that pit of hell that he lived in for his entire life. Confess it. Just acknowledge that we've dealt wrongly with it because he is not Lord over it. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? We've said many times in this church, a disciple of Jesus, who one who continually grows in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Is he Lord over all, all areas of our lives? And do we live with the understanding that he's Lord of our finances and that we will live with his wisdom and deal with our finances according to the way that he calls us to? I reference the redemption that we can have in Christ. And I'll close with this that no matter where we find ourselves in the area of how we've dealt with our finances, there is hope. Here's the reality. I, we all, have fallen prey to thinking and dealing with money sinfully. It's just a reality of life. We are all fallen short of the glory of God. We've made money too often an idol. We haven't given the Lord his rightful place in our, with our money. But look at what Proverbs 11:24 says. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. That's a picture of what Christ has done. Jesus has given himself freely to us all. Freely he laid down his life and the gospel has been sprinkled over this room. Every soul in this room has had the opportunity to hear the work of, cross, of, of the cross by Christ, what he has done on our behalf. He has given it to us freely. And in him, we can be redeemed from all of our sin. In the way that he has given himself freely, we also then give. One commentator says this, and I love this, selfishness is poverty, generosity is wealth. Jesus, the one who created all of the wealth, owns every bit of the wealth, gave himself freely to us all. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for yet. For your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's what he's done for us. And when we consider his life and the example of his life for us, then we can live according to the wealth that he has given us all. His life. We don't have to be selfish. We don't have to be hoarders. We don't have to look for ill-gotten gain. We can trust the Lord because he has proven his goodness and his kindness to us through his sacrifice on our behalf. Selfishness is poverty. Generosity is wealth. I pray that we would be wealthy in Christ 
And then as such, as we live under his lordship, we would become people who give freely to all because we understand that the money is not ours. It is his. And he has given us the task of stewarding it for his glory and for our good. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for your wisdom. You don't just tell us that this is how we deal with money and this is how we don't deal with money, but you give us the wisdom, the understanding to see why we do what we do, why you have called us to do what we do, why it's for our own good. And Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that whatever is true would remain in our hearts and anything that I spoke that was false, that was not from you, would be just removed from our minds. But Lord, as this text has been convicting to my soul, Lord, I pray that the conviction that we might be feeling and experiencing just because of the pervasiveness that, the, the, that money holds in our lives, the idol that it is in so many of our lives, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't try and just drift too quickly from that. We would just, in this moment, Lord, just deal with us. Allow that conviction to sit on our souls not so that we would think you don't love us or that you are against us, but so that we could be brought to repentance and we could experience in real terms, we could experience your grace and your mercy as you forgive us and you lead us into a new life, a life that isn't burdened by money, but a life that gets to enjoy your pleasure in giving us exactly what you intend to give us and giving us to us in, in abundance. God, I pray that um, you, would, you would lead us as a, as a faith family, as a church family, to be people who are generous, who have a proper view of money and wealth, a view that is in line with your word, we so often talk about our submission to the authority of your scriptures and your word speaks often and clearly about how we are to deal with the blessings and the wealth that you've given us. God, help us to live in accordance with your will. Lord, I pray that um, anyone who does not understand that text that says that for our sake you became poor so that we might become rich? Would you prompt them to have a conversation with someone today or this week to explain that, to understand the glory of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That Lord Jesus, you came in your wealth and in your power and you humbled yourself to death, even death on a cross. So that the, the wrath of God against sinners like me would be paid for and taken care of. I pray that they would know that. They could experience the joy of knowing that. So would you just move in? Whoever, whoever's heart is dealing with that question this morning, Lord, I, you know, you know their souls. Would you lead them into a conversation where they could hear more about the good news? 
about who you are and what you've done on our behalf. Lord, we love you. We praise your holy name. We thank you for your abundant blessing on our lives. Help us to live as you would call us to, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.